want to ask you to go to Ephesians with me, the book of Ephesians, and we'll begin our reading in verse 22. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. I didn't tell you a chapter. Ephesians 4, 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God, in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin, and do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word today. On my list of places to go before I die, on my bucket list, is Yellowstone National Park out in Wyoming. I want to go there. One of the things that Yellowstone is famous for is geysers. I've never seen a geyser before in person, but in that park there are about 300 geysers. And, of course, the most well-known one is known as Old Faithful. It's what's known as a cone geyser. I don't know what that particularly means, but it's a cone geyser. And it was the first geyser in the park to receive a name. It is so named because it erupts in predictable interviews, intervals, I should say, an average of 90 minutes per day. Every, every 90 minutes, this thing, roughly every 90 minutes, is, uh, this thing is erupting. And eruptions can shoot out between 3,700 and 8,400 U.S. gallons of boiling water. And it can reach a height between 106 to 185 feet in the air. And an eruption averages between a minute and a half to five minutes with Old Faithful. The average height of an eruption is 145 feet. And, of course, the highest one was 185 feet that I mentioned a moment ago. One day I want to go there. I'd like to go to Yellowstone because I know it's a beautiful place and I would like to see geysers erupting. I'm sure that on a clear, sunny, warm day, it's a beautiful sight to see that happening. What's not so beautiful is when people erupt. If a person blows up into a rage, it's anything but pretty. It's very ugly. We're in a series that I've titled, It Came From Within. And in this series, we're talking about some things that can come out of our own hearts that are not good. 
You remember the word picture that I shared with you, and it was one that I shared because I know we've all seen this on TV as we watch our televisions. We have seen a, a documentary where a herd of wildebeest are, are dry and thirsty going across the savanna, and they make it their way to a, a watering hole that looks placid and harmless. And you'll see the older wildebeest kind of hanging back and the younger beasts coming up to the water's edge because they're thirsty. And there may be what appears to be some kind of small log floating there not too far from the shore. Looks harmless. They see about six inches of that log. They don't know that underneath is a 20-foot monster. And they're, they're there, and you've seen this scene. They're there getting a drink, and suddenly it explodes out from underneath that placid surface and, and erupts with power and grabs that poor wildebeest, and the wildebeest becomes a meal for the crocodile. And I, I have been saying to you, I said last week, that, that our hearts, the human heart, can be something like that. It seems like everything's fine. It seems like things are calm and placid. But out of our own hearts, things can erupt that are monstrous and terrible. And they can come break through the surface. It's just under the surface. And it can break through. And it's the kind of thing that can cause us to, to even be taken back by our own response. And we look at this and we, we, we wonder, where did that come from? You'll remember last week that I shared with you what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, or sorry, 15, verses 18 and 19. But the things that come out of the mouth are from the heart, and these make a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. We don't like to acknowledge it, folks. But even in the hearts of believers, there can be something that's just under the surface. That will take us back when it erupts and it happens. And we, we, we wonder, how did that happen? Or where did that come from? Why is that coming out of us? And the truth and reality is it comes from within us. Our own hearts can have what, what some would maybe try to hide and deny. And say doesn't exist. These monstrous things that can surface. And certainly rage us like that. It's the kind of thing that comes out of our heart that we don't control, but that controls us for a little while until it runs its course. And we've done maybe things that we, we regret horribly, but they've been done. Once rage surfaces, it pretty much runs its course until it subsides. Rage is anger out of control. And I'll tell you that today a lot of people populate our prisons and our jails today because of um, an act of rage, of evil, out-of-control anger that drove them to do something that right now they very much regret doing. And it was because they lost it. It was because something emerged from, the, from within their own heart and they lost control. And sadly, a fit of rage changed everything. A lot of us have experienced being around a fit of rage. Maybe some of us sitting here are guilty of raging at times. And all of us have probably witnessed it. Some people here today might likely live with a person in your home who just regularly explodes with rage. And you know, I don't have to tell you how rough that can be. Rage isn't pretty. It isn't fun. 
And it is a dangerous thing to have within our hearts. Did you catch the statement in verse 26 of our text? It simply says, in your anger, do not sin. I think that this acknowledges for us, the Holy Spirit acknowledges to us, that you will get angry. And anger is not sin. Being angry isn't a sinful thing. In fact, I get angry and God gets angry. And anger is just a very natural thing. The issue is when anger controls us and becomes out of control for us and develops into something that is inappropriate and develops into, at times, anger that, that, that develops all the way into rage. That's when anger becomes sin. It's the anger that will cloud our judgment and our reason for a while. And then we do something that we would never do with a clear mind. You and I have seen it on the roads, haven't we? We've seen somebody fly into a rage and they're surrounded by thousands of pounds of power. And they lose control and they do something behind the wheel that they normally wouldn't do. My wife, uh, I just yesterday, I was at the house and our doorbell rang and I went out to, to see that there was a police officer standing there, a state police officer. And uh, my wife, unfortunately, on her way home from church about a couple months ago, witness was right behind a fatal car accident. A young man got extremely angry with a, a, an older gentleman, and um, he was determined he was going to impose his will and try to force his way off of the shoulder, uh, trying to pass on the shoulder, trying to force his way in front of the older man because the older man in the pickup truck had blocked him. And the young man in his rage did some very foolish things behind a wheel, and it cost his best friend and three people in the other car that they hit head on. Rage can be extremely ugly and can cause things to happen that you would never, with a clear mind, want to happen. My wife has to go to a hearing because of that. Uncontrolled anger truly will cost people. The Bible bears out one leader, one of the greatest leaders in Scripture, and, and tells the story of how it, truly and dearly cost him because he lost control of his anger. His anger was appropriate, but his anger uh, got control of him for just a few minutes, and it made him, uh, he had to pay a, a dear price for it. Let me take you there. It's in Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20, beginning with verse 1. In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, they stayed at Kadesh. There Miriam died and was buried. Now there was no water for the community and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, grapefruits or pomegranates and there is no water to drink. Moses and Aaron went away, went from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell face down and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, take the staff, you and your brother Aaron, gather the assembly together. 
Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. So Moses, Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he commanded him. And he and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock. And Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. There's a lot for me to preach on here, to be honest with you, but that I have to wait for another day. But I want to just highlight a couple of things out of this story for you to to illustrate how rage can even cost some of the, the highest profile believers. Rage is rage. Moses and Aaron were people, were men who were under tremendous amount of pressure. They were the leader of an entire nation. And, and in fact, it would be hard for us to fully appreciate how, just how much pressure that they were under day to day. These brothers led an entire nation, more than a million people, through the wilderness, out of the land of Egypt. And they were leading them under the direction of the Lord God, who said that they were to bring his people into a land that was promise for them but their their existence at this point was nomadic they traveled in mass together and so over a million people with elderly people and children and livestock and all of the logistics of carrying your earthly possessions from place to place they had to, they would go to a place for a while they would set camp up they would establish themselves in that area for a little while and then they would be instructed to move on and they would follow that and they had been on the move for a long time and they came finally to a place called the the, the desert of zin and it was a true desert. This is a place that's very barren and does not have uh, a lot of vegetation. It's very barren and it, it, there was no water in this place. It's harsh. And while camped there, Moses and Aaron suffered the loss of their beloved sister, Miriam. And they had to bury her there in the desert sand. I want to point out to you that as difficult as the journey had been, for the Israelites and for Moses and Aaron, God had always miraculously provided for them. God had always miraculously protected them. He had a cloud that would lead them from place to place. It would it would illuminate at nighttime, become a pillar of fire. And God had always taken care of the people. And so they all knew that. They saw that God was with them. They experienced His presence. Secondly, although the journey was hard, certainly their lives were better on the journey with Moses and Aaron than they were back in Egypt when they were oppressed slaves. And here they are in the wilderness and God had taken care of them. But look at the disrespect that they show these grieving brothers, their leaders. Look at how they speak to Moses and Aaron and how they confront and quarrel with them. Also know that this wasn't the first time that they had grumbled and been difficult for these two leaders. And again, these guys had just lost their sister. Verses 2 through 5 illustrate what I'm talking about. Uh, that they, they 
quarreled with Moses, verse 3. If only we had died and when our brothers fell before the Lord dead. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness that we and our livestock should die here? No faith, no confidence, even though God had taken care of them. Do you think that Moses and Aaron had a right to be a little bit angry? I do. I, I think as a leader, working as hard as they were working, trying to take care of, of the people and follow the voice of the Lord, I think it was a hard thing on the heels of losing their sister to have to deal with these people grumbling and complaining at them. And they did the right thing. They withdrew from the people and they went and sought the Lord. That was the right thing to do. And there, God directly spoke to Moses and Aaron. And he gave Moses specific instructions to take the infamous rod that he had in his hand when God created it into the rod of God, when he was called, and to stand before a rock and to speak to it. Remember what the Word of God says about itself. The Word of God is living and active and powerful. And I believe that God specifically said to Moses, speak, speak my word and and watch the living power of my word work on this rock. And I believe there was a it's why the Lord would say to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me and treat me whole as a holy God, because you did something on your own. This is why you are not going to lead my people into the promised land. Moses and Aaron got caught up. Moses did, at least. As he stood there at the rock, he did what the Lord commanded. He got to the rock, but instead of speaking to the rock, he was too angry. He looked out there and he called them rebels. I have a feeling that in the original language and in the moment there, his anger was was pretty pretty. Uh, deep in those words, rebel, probably what translates into rebel, probably has a little bit stronger connotation in the original. But he looked at him and he said, listen, you rebels, are you going to make me bring water out of the rock? And out of anger, he raised that rod and he smacked it twice on the rock. And God was God and God was good. And he made water come out. But it cost Moses dearly because in a moment he lost his anger. He lost control. And he disobeyed the Lord God. And the Lord saw it as being disrespected. Because God had a purpose for his word going out. And bringing water out of that rock. We need to be careful. Just on a side note again. There's a lot I can preach out of here. But we need to be careful to fully obey the word of the Lord. Not partially. It cost this man dearly. And and it was a... A tremendous blessing God would have given him to walk these people into the promised land. He didn't get that blessing. He lost it that day. So when I talk to you about rage and it being dangerous, I need you to know it can be costly for anyone. Moses was God's prized man, if you will, in the world at the time. So when in the Bible here in Ephesians, back to Ephesians first. 30, uh, chapter 4, verse 31. When the Bible tells us to get rid of our bitterness and rage and anger and our brawling and our slanding, it does slander. It does kind of beg the question, well, how do we do this? I know that's the question in the mind of any believer here who has issues with having fits of rage. I know you would like nothing better than for the Lord to take it away from you this very day if you have an issue with this. 
But once again, I need to remind you that the wording in the Scripture text is an inference that it is in the realm of possibility to slay this monster in your life. If you have an issue with blowing up, you have an issue with rage coming out, I will tell you that I believe with all of my heart God provides a way for you to be rid of it if you want to be. But it isn't just automatic. It isn't something easy. I think it takes a powerful commitment for the believer who struggles with fits of rage. Being rid of it would be a great blessing. Remember when we first started looking at these things that come from within, we did say that slaying them will not ever be easy. It usually takes a true commitment on our part. Rage is certainly no exception to that. I have no doubt if uh, every preacher in our denomination were tasked one day with, uh, with the assignment of helping people, preaching sermons, to get rage, uh, to to, to to deal with rage and to slay this monster of rage, probably each preacher would have a different approach. Here is mine. I'm going to just use the little um, little saying, get ready, get set, go. And I'm going to share with you what I think we can do as with God's help to rid ourselves of rage. First, get ready. For any of you who do have eruptions, please take a few moments right now while you're nice and calm and think about this issue in your life. Think about all the embarrassment it has caused you. Think about all of the damage it has done for you personally when you have blown it and just gotten so mad. Hasn't it cost you? Think about how it affects others around you. Have you lost any relationships in your life because of rage? Think about those closest to you in your family. Have you ever made somebody uncomfortable who was around you because you lost control? What's your reputation? Are you known as a hothead? Someone who can't control their own temper? Are you good with that? In short, think about your family, your friendships, your workplace, your worship, your relationship, and how rage damages all of that in your life. If after thinking about this for a few moments you're fine with it, then I would just suggest you take a little siesta while I finish this sermon. But if you are, if you are at a place in your life where you don't want this, where you feel like this is not for God's person, and I would just ask you and I would challenge you, then get ready. Get ready to do what is necessary to slay this thing in your life. Get ready to confront it. And, and stop denying it and stop acting as if it isn't a big issue in your life and that it doesn't cause problems for you and your Lord. Get ready to fight for control of your temper. Get ready to fight the dark forces that exploit you and they know your low frustration point and they know how to kind of work you up. Get ready to come to a, a, a place where you're willing to battle. Come to the point where you're sincerely wanting to resolve this issue in your heart and not be caught up in a fit of rage ever again. I would suggest to you that you can't do this until you get to the point where you're tired enough of the hurt and the harm that it has done for you and the hurt and the harm that has been inflicted on others. You will never rid yourself of this until you get ready before God and say, okay, I'm, I'm ready for this to be done in my life. I'm ready for rage to die in my life. 
So get ready. Get set. I want to challenge you to get set. Get your heart set. Get your mind set. Once you have a firm choice, once you've said, I'm ready to do this, once you have made that, and you're ready now to, to do something about it, bring it to the Lord in humble prayer and get your heart set. Like every other beastly thing that comes from within our hearts, we need the awesome power of our Creator to defeat these kinds of things in our lives. When you try it on your own, it doesn't work. I can remember how I've struggled in the past with, with just getting really angry and a fit of rage would, would come out of me. And I will promise you, counting to ten didn't help me. In fact, when I was becoming frustrated, if somebody I loved, for example, my wife would say, now, honey, calm down and count to ten, that only made me more frustrated. I was frustrated at myself that I was getting frustrated. And then my loved one was pointing out that I was getting frustrated. And it just, it just became greater. I can tell you this is not a self-help thing. This is a thing you need the power of the Lord to slay in your life. You can't in and of yourself make an anger problem go away. It's not going to happen. So I say to you, get ready or get set, I should say, by getting before God and make yourself as humble as a little child and say, I know on my own I'm going to do it again. I'm going to hurt somebody and I have no control, but I hate this in my life. I hate this. And I want it out because I don't want to pretend to be God's man and have a, a problem with a fit of rage in my life. I want this out. And so get before the Lord, humble yourself before Him, confess it, call it exactly what it is. Call it sin when you lose control of your anger. Don't justify it. Don't say, I had a right to be angry. You may have had a right to be angry. You never have a right to lose it. You don't have a right to totally lose control of your temper. The Word of God would say, get rid of all of that. That's what we read. And it does suggest to us that we can slay these things with the help of God. But I would suggest that you get before the Lord and say, I am too weak and I admit that I can't even control my own temper. Offer Him your body. Offer Him yourself. And ask Him to cleanse you from all evil and unrighteousness. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in the view of all of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And this is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Listen, you can't go at this thing using the rationale of people in the world. Because you see, people in the world think that there are times when it is perfectly fitting to fly into a rage. I'm telling you that according to God's economy and God's way, kingdom and God's way of seeing things, rage is sin. It's never a holy or a righteous thing to fly into a rage. And so I would suggest to you, offer yourself up to him. Ask him to sanctify. That is a biblical word, meaning just to make you holy and put you aside for holy purposes. Give him, ask him to give you the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome this. Does this sound like preacher ease to you? Sound like something you've heard before? 
Before you reject this and turn me off, let me ask you to consider the hold that rage has had on you and how many times it has controlled you. Do you think you need the cleansing power of the Holy Spirit in your heart in order to loosen this thing's grip in your life? Do you think you need the power of the Holy Spirit to change you and change the way you see things and anoint you to fight this battle and overcome? Do you think you need His wisdom to lead you to know how to fight your own rage? I do. I need Him in order to overcome. Take this thing earnestly to God, my friends. Set your heart right. Get, get your mindset. Put on the whole armor of God and get ready to wage war. That's the only way we will win. When we acknowledge to God our need of. And then go. Once you have made up your mind to rid yourself of rage and gain control of your temper. And once you have gotten really set by seeking the Lord God, then go forward with a plan to fight the battle. And again, I'm going to say to you that these monsters don't die with one blow. You're going to have challenges to overcome this rage in your life. But keep seeking. Keep going. Don't give up. Don't say, it's just the way I'm made and I can't help it. God made me this way. I'm a hothead. What can I say? Don't do that. Don't cop out. Fight the battle until you win. Let God give you victory. And He is willing to do that. And again, I'm not trying to give you just a bunch of preacher's platitudes here. But that's what it takes. It takes a commitment to say, I'm not satisfied with this in my heart. I want it gone. And I'm not going to excuse it away and say, oh, well, you can't do that if you want to truly live the way that God would have you to live. One of the features of rage is that it's reactionary. And so one of the things that, you, that, that is helpful is to challenge yourself, don't react. I've had to say that to myself sometimes as a pastor when uh, somebody has been very upset with me and gotten really close to my face and started telling me that I was a sham and a fake and a blah, 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 blah. And they're really angry. And, they're, and, and I've had to say to myself in my head, don't react. Don't react. Just stand there. Don't react. Because if I reacted the way I wanted to, I'd punch them. And that's not right. You know, that's not of God. A preacher can't be punching anybody. And so the flesh is screaming, punch them. Hit them now, you know. And and I'm saying to myself, I'm fighting against this reaction and saying I can't do that. That's not of God. That's not what God's man would do. Stand there. Don't react. And that's that. That's how rage kind of acts sometimes. We we have a buildup of frustration. We feel insulted. We have injustice or something going on, and we can kind of lose control because it's a reactionary thing. We respond to a circumstance. I'll tell you about something that happened to me. I'm not proud of this, but I'll tell you it did happen to me years ago. I used to work for a drywall contractor, and one of my primary responsibility was to be a drywall finisher. And I will tell you, any day of the week, I would rather finish drywall than have to hang drywall, okay? Uh, most houses have, have in them a half-inch uh, thick drywall that is four, uh, four feet wide and 12 feet long. 
and a sheet of drywall that is half inch, it's, that's, that's 12 by 4 by half inch, weighs about 70 to 80 pounds, okay? And on this particular day, we were in a house that was old. It had plaster on the ceilings and had plaster on the walls. And our boss said, I have a, a tough job for you, but I, I have confidence in you. And my brother and I were working together. I want you to go here, and I want you to put five eights, 12 foot by four foot, five eights drywall on this 10 foot tall ceiling. I want you to go in there and I want you guys to hang this ceiling for me. This thing had plaster in it, okay? So in order to attach this thing, we had to push through the drywall with a screw, push through the old plaster with a screw, and get all the way through the lath into the, the, the joist uh, or the, the, the studding. It was joist up there on the ceiling. And unfortunately, when wood gets really old, sometimes it can petrify. And so we had to get three-inch screws, and we had to jack up five-eighths by 12-foot long, five-eighths drywall, and a sheet of that weighs about 120 pounds. And so my brother and I are jacking this thing up, and of course you've got to glue it first, and then you're trying to hold it. You're using a screw gun. You're trying to run a big, long screw in, which will bend when it hits something really hard at times. So, so often I would start all the way up and I'm pushing with all of my might. This stuff is not going easily. And I'm shaking, I'm pushing so hard. And every, every once in a while, zik, it would bend. And then I'd have to get the screw out. And did you know that when you put enough friction on a screw, it gets really hot and it can burn your hand. I, I found that out that day. It was about 90 degrees. I'm up on stilts. I had them jacked as high as I can, but the, the ceiling was high enough that I still had to raise my hand to get the thing to the height. I, I couldn't just hold it with my head. I was the one measuring and calling out numbers. There was nothing square in the house. And so I would have to measure. And then my brother would, would cut it. And somehow between the numbers that came out of my mouth, his brain and the, and the reading and the cutting, it would sometimes come out wrong. And he was cutting it wrong, in my opinion. And so I was getting annoyed at him. I was tired. He would finish cutting. He would bring it to me. I'd take half of it. He'd climb up a bench. We'd try to put it up there, and when it didn't fit, and I said, when? Because it happened too many times. We had to take it back down and recut it, and I was getting frustrated. And we're working along. Yeah, you can't tell, right? We're working along on this day, and it's not going well. It's not going fast. I'm very particular. I want it to look good. It was not looking good. I was getting really annoyed. And I was saying the numbers to my brother. Now, that's a 122 and a half. Do you have it this time? You know, that kind of thing. And he says, I can understand you, you know. So he and I are sniping. Neither one of us is happy with the other. He's convinced I don't know how to read a rule. I'm convinced he's a moron, you know. And so we're really upset. And and we 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 have been working for a while. We got this one sheet after it had to come back down. We glue on the back of it, got it fixed. We got it up there. I'm holding this thing up and I'm trying to get these screws in through this hardwood. I finally got a couple screws to hold the weight. My brother shifted the board. It broke loose. It fell on my head, and I lost it. I went into a rage, and I punched 
the drywall as hard as I could hit it up to the ceiling. And I started screaming at my brother, put screws in this. And I'm just like, I called him a moron to his face. And I was just furious. Well, when this thing happened, instead of my brother being angry at me, he lost it and fell off the bench laughing at me. I was saying, get up! Come I'm screaming at him. You're stupid for laughing. Get up here, you know. I am just, I lost it. We finally finished the job and, and I'm driving home and the Holy Spirit began to talk to me and say, you know, Ken, that's not how God's man acts. I know it was frustrating. You failed the test. And you got, you got in a rage at your brother. And you said some things to him that you shouldn't have said. It's a good thing he didn't take it personally. And I apologized to my brother and I acknowledged to him. And can I tell you, if you have a fit of rage, the very least you can do without any qualifiers. I could have said, well, Alex, if you didn't shift the drywall, you know, it wouldn't have fallen on my head. I could have brought my qualifiers. I just needed to say, you know, whatever happened, Alex, what I did was absolutely wrong. And I am so sorry to you. You're my brother. And I called you a moron, and I know better than that. I say, I'm so sorry. I, I, I offended you. I didn't make excuses. I didn't say I was hot. I was tired. I didn't, because you can't. If you want to slaughter the beast of rage, you have to own it. And you have to say, this is what I did. And I, I apologized to him. Of course, I got before God, and I said, God, I don't want this to happen to me. Because it was funny that day. But um, when I fly off in a fit of rage, it's not so funny in other circumstances. And that's how people get hurt. And that's how you do damage to yourself, to others. I don't want rage in my life. And the Bible tells us that we can rid ourselves of it. And I believe that with all of my heart. I believe that that's what God can do. I would challenge you to seek the Lord God with all of your heart if you have issues with anger and ask God to remove this from you as you work with him, the Holy Spirit. This whole series that we will be traveling through is about dealing with monstrous things that come out of our own hearts. And the point of it, the end game for me, is to draw closer to our Heavenly Father. As we rid ourselves of things that are offensive to God, it is a sign to him that we are drawing closer to him because we love him. And it matters. Does it matter to you that God is troubled with rage in your life? You can rid yourself of it with God's help. You don't have to be a hothead. You don't have to rationalize it away. You don't have to be like the one person that told me the reason I fly off the handle is because I'm a redhead. What's, what's being a redhead have, have to do with getting angry all the time? And that's exactly what this lady told me. The reason I, I, I get so mad all the time is I'm a redhead. That's the way I was made. No. You know, I said, well, I have Spanish blood in me. Should I say that that's why I get mad all the time? What, what is that? So anyway, our end game needs to be, if it isn't, to be closer to God. And today, I'm serving the Lord's Supper which Jesus established for his followers to share as a way to remember all that he has done. It's appropriate this weekend to remember what 
what sacrifices were made so that we have freedoms in our country, that's an appropriate thing. How much more appropriate is it for we who have been set free by Jesus Christ to remember what he did through this wonderful sacrament that he established? Part of what we do when when we share in this meal is we take stock in our relationship with our God. We invite him to reveal in us that which is not of him. And we seek his forgiveness and his mercy. We eat the bread expressing our understanding that Jesus' body was abused and pierced and ultimately killed as a penalty for our sins. Jesus didn't die because he did anything wrong. He died because we needed him to. He took our place and his body took the brunt of that punishment. Jesus took on himself the punishment of my sin, my rage, my ungodliness. We drink the fruit of the vine today because we believe that Christ shed blood provided cleansing for all sin once and for all. The power of what he did on Calvary and his blood is amazing. No longer do we need blood of a bull, blood of a goat or a sheep or anything else. Jesus took care of that for us. And when we drink, we partake of this saying, we remember your blood was shed, Lord, and we acknowledge that your blood cleanses our sins. If you are dealing with rage in your life, the Lord can cleanse you and will cleanse you if you acknowledge him and seek him, if you ask him to. We acknowledge that without Jesus, we're hopeless and we're lost. But through him, we are transformed and become part of God's family, his child. And we are empowered to live righteous lives. We're not under the control of our own temper. We have control because God gives us victory. And you need to know you can can rid yourself of this ugly monster in your life. It can happen. You have to believe and trust in God.